Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Amen. Um, Well, I want to welcome you all to week three of our series on the Ten Commandments called God's Top Ten. Uh, Pastor's out of town today. Uh, He's doing a leadership retreat and preaching uh, today for our former youth pastor, Pastor Akil Thompson, uh, who pastors a church in Toronto, Canada. So Pastor is north of the mortar, eh? And uh, he's up there today, and he's enjoying uh, some time up there preaching the word of the Lord. And I'm sure that you all, as much as you miss him, are thankful to know that he's making an impact not only in the United States, but he's crossed the border and making an impact in another country this morning. Amen? Amen. Well, in week one, he gave us an overview of why the Ten Commandments were so important and uh, why they matter still for us today and how, how that if you try to separate the law from the heart of the lawgiver, you really misunderstand the purpose of the law and that that being to help us not only to be set free, but to help us live free. And that's kind of become the tagline of this series that we don't just want to live free, but we want to, we don't just want to be set free, but we want to live free. Last week, we tackled the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and we learned how to put God first using the acronym FIRST, uh, first in our finances, first in our interest, first in our relationships, first in our schedule, and first in our troubles. And usually, that's the one time that we wait until everything has gone all crazy before we want to put God first, but uh, I, I've tried to make it a change in my habit. When people come to me with stuff, a lot of times I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to help them. And the first thing I say is, well, the only thing I can do is pray. Well, the reality is that's the most important thing I can do is pray. And so I'm trying to change my thinking there because that's not the only thing I can do. That's the best thing I can do. Can you say amen? And so we want to put God first. And then commandment number one says you've got to worship the one and only true God. And we talked about that last week. And then commandment number two, which tags on right behind number one, imagine that, says you must worship the true God in the right way. And so today, that's what we want to talk about. That begins in verse four of Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, or if you'd like to follow along on the screen, you can do that. Or if you want to open up your, your app, the Life Church app, the Bible's there as well. Exodus chapter 24, 20 and verse four, it says, do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals, or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not share your affection with any other God. I do not leave them unpunished, the sins of those who hate me, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. A lot of people are confused by that, and they immediately think, oh my gosh, my kids and my next generation are going to be punished. He says he punishes those who hate him. See, when we come into grace, we change who we are in love with. Can you say amen? And so if you love Jesus, you don't have to worry about your kids being punished on your behalf. You love Jesus, and therefore, the next verse is what applies to you. He says, I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands even for a thousand generations. So when you love him, you don't have to worry about your kids and your grandkids because thousands of generations beyond you are going to experience the love of Jesus when you fall in love with Jesus. Can you say amen? 
So the second command is don't make or worship idols. And so today's message, we're just going to call it avoid the fakes. Avoid the fakes. So let's start off by kind of understanding what is an idol today. What is an idol? Archaeologists have found evidence of idols in every culture throughout history. Statues of gods and goddesses. Uh, Man has a misguided desire to turn things, people, or ideas into objects of worship. But God says, don't. That's really what God is saying here. Don't turn an idea or an image or, or something created to mimic something else into an idea that you would worship. Out of the 613 laws recorded in the Torah, more than 50 of them are prohibitions against idolatry. The Hebrew word for graven image is the word pasel, and it means something carved or fashioned with the hands. Bowing down to a statue is only one expression of idolatry. There's many types of idolatry. And just because you don't bow down to anything today, you don't bend your knee to a carved image in the corner of your bedroom, does not mean you don't need to listen to this message. Can you say amen? Because idolatry takes on a lot of different forms. And I promise you, as I studied this week, there were things that God began to convict me about in my own life. And I promise, I don't have any statues in my house that I bow down to. I do have one trophy for winning fantasy football for the last three years, and I'm proud of that. But I don't bow down to it. But an idol is anything that takes the focus off God and puts it on something else. When anything besides God takes over first place in my life, it is an idol. I'm going to say something here that some of you are going to be like, ooh, that stings. Even if the thing is good. Because there are lots of good things in our life that we are allowing to rob us of total, complete devotion to God. I know preachers who put their church building in a place of an idol. I know church people who put serving at church as an idol. Doesn't mean you shouldn't serve at church, but what it does mean is that that can't supersede my relationship with the one I'm serving. Can you say amen? So even if it's good, God doesn't want us to value anything more than we value him. In the Bible, Pastor talked about this last week, and especially in the Old Testament times, there were three primary idols uh, that we find, or at least uh, replicas or ideas of these three idols. First was the god, of the, the god Baal. We hear about him a lot uh, with Israel's dealings with uh, dealings with false god, and Baal was representative of the god of sex. Uh, the god of Mammon was another time in the, uh, you find a lot in the Old Testament, even up until the uh, Middle Ages, and Mammon is the god of money. And the third God that Pastor mentioned last week was Molech, and he's the God of violence. The baser human desires for unrestricted sex, selfishness, and violence are reflected in these three ancient idols. Now, today, we don't worship objects as much as we worship ideas and images. Images of sex, images of success, images of wealth, images of status, and certainly Images of violence and sex, as Pastor mentioned last week. Sex, money, and violence are paraded on full display in a box sitting in the corner of our living room just about every day that we literally sit down in front of at the altar of, and we don't may not call it worship, but we sure do devote a lot of time and energy into it. Can you say amen? It's 
representative of two letters, if you don't know what I'm talking about. One is a T and the other is a V. We spend a lot of time at the altar of sex, money, and violence represented on our television screens. John said in 1 John 2.16 that everything in the world can be summed up in three ideas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three ideas feed our cravings, our desires, and ultimately, if entertained, will cause us to indulge in these three areas of human depravity and drive us towards worshiping the creature instead of the creator and ultimately allowing us to idolize a God, a false one, a false idea, a false sense of self that will cause us to pursue the fakes instead of the real. That's a reality, folks. We are living in a day and age where people are more in love with the creature than they are the creator. They are more in love with their likes on Facebook than they are in love with the likes of Jesus Christ. They are more concerned about what people think of them than they are about what they think of what God thinks of them. I don't know about you today, but I really don't care, God help me to live this out, what you think of me. I want you to like me. I do. I want you to love me. I do. But at the end of the day, I cannot be so concerned about what you think of me that I let your thoughts about me get in the place of what he thinks about me. I don't want to pursue a fake image or an image that portrays me as something that I'm not. I don't want to pursue something that puts me up in the eyes of the world. I want to be in the eyes of God. Somebody, nothing between me and him, nothing that could separate my image of who he is in my life. Can you say amen? Now, the second commandment is aimed directly at the human tendency to take matters of right and wrong into our own hands. This is idolatry in its purest form, our idea of what's right and wrong our decision to decide what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. When a person chooses a lifestyle or makes choices that violate the moral will of God, they are, in effect, erecting an idol fashioned by their own hands and making God over in their own image. How many of you know that there are people who would really live for God if they could make him in their image? Right? I want to worship at the God that I created, the one that looks the way I want him to look, the one that acts the way I want him to act. Because if they do that, they won't feel condemned by his commandments. See, if God is like I want him to be, then he's going to do things the way I want him to do them, and he's going to have commandments that kind of align with what I like. And so my, the, the, the false image, the, the, the way the world shapes us, is it tries to get us to recreate God in our image so that God can live out in us what we want him to live. That's a, that's a fake. Now, let me tell you, what we need to learn to do is align ourselves to the image of God and not God to our image. Can you say amen? So the second commandment is simply a reiteration, really, of the direction that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, The Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. If you eat this fruit. I think I was trying to say treat there, but it just came out wrong. So if you eat the fruit, you are sure to die. Now, God was prohibiting man from meddling with morality. That's really what God's trying to do here. They were not to change in any way what God had declared to be right and what God had declared to be wrong. Mankind's moral code is off limits, according to God. 
The morality that we govern our life by is not decided by us. That's why I've said for years, you can't legislate morality. The government can pass all the laws it wants to, but it cannot change the heart of man. Man has to live based on a moral compass, and that moral compass has to come from God. And so, therefore, we can't, deal, we can't change morality to fit what we like or don't like, what appeals to us or doesn't, what, what works best for us and doesn't. Morality is set. It is God's law. And therefore, man cannot change the law of God. The devil tries to portray God in this instance as the taker and, and when he really is just the giver. Think about it like this. Before God gave Adam and Eve a prohibition, you can't eat the tree, he first gave them a permission. He said, you can eat anything you want. Just don't eat of this tree. He gave them permission. He said, you know what? Enjoy everything I've created for you except this one thing, because this one thing is an area that is under my authority, and I don't want you taking authority over it. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's why we know God's law is set. He gave us his moral law, a gift from him. And it doesn't change like the shadows that come here and there. It doesn't shift with the winds that feel this way. I was talking to my wife this morning, and we were talking on the way here about how uh, she said that we were in Charlottesville yesterday, and there were some people out. Uh, they were leading a protest. They were wanting to legalize marijuana. And, uh, and she said, I thought it was funny that that uh, I saw an article last night about how p- police officers were now going to have breathalyzers that would detect marijuana usage. And, uh, and on the surface, that sounds really good, doesn't it? We don't want people driving under the influence of marijuana any more than we want them driving under the alcohol. Sounds good. But I told her, I said, what it really does is it clears the path to legalize marijuana. Because now we've got guards in place to protect you in advance of doing something that's illegal right now. So what it does is it puts these parameters in place so that when it's legal, we've got guidelines. See, that's how the devil works. He shifts it just a little bit. Make a little bit of this. Make a little bit of that. Make it easier and more palatable so that we can accept the fake. Suddenly the moral law of God is starting to shift. And why is it shifting? Because we thought it was more palatable that way. We've got to avoid the fakes. We've got to see the fakes for what they are. We've got to recognize that this is against the moral compass of God. Now, People opposed to God often try to insinuate that if the Bible restricts us from any pleasure or puts those pleasures within a box with limitations, that God is somehow unfair. But remember the theme we're driving home here in this series is that God does not want us to only be set free. He wants us to live free. The second commandment says that God is jealous. He'll allow no substitutes for himself. And some people are like, man, that's tough. Why is God like that? Well, let me tell you. It's not because he's insecure It's not because he's insane. It's not because he's possessive, but it is because he is intensely devoted to you. He loves you with a love that is so real and pure and driven by his love and sacrifice for you that he doesn't want anything to get in between you and his love for you. If God allowed us to engage in idol worship, he would be willfully abandoning us to harmful counterfeits, the fakes that inflict cruel disappointment and disillusionment on humanity every day. We've got to avoid the fakes. The things that pull us away from God, they're fake. They're fake gods set up to drive us away from him. So let's talk for a minute about what idols do to you. Because idols do some things to you when you have them in your life. The first thing they do is they disappoint us. 
Idols will disappoint you. The Bible says, I read it earlier, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not like change, who does not change like shifting shadows. 1 John 2.16, though, says this. In the New Living Translation, I love what it says. It says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And so if the Father gives every good gift, everything that is good in life comes from him, the world is set up to offer us something that is not a good gift. It is set up to offer us fakes. It is set up to offer us, though, things that are f- fulfill our physical pleasure, uh, f- that will give us pride in our achievements and possessions. Idols and sin always promise more than they can deliver. And they always take you further along than you anticipated you would go. The pursuit of the pleasures of life will always leave you feeling empty. I don't hesitate to use big words and dramatic words like always and never when it comes to this. Because if you pursue the things of this world, if you pursue the things of God and you accept the fakes and don't accept the real, you will always end up farther down the road than you want to go. You will always end up farther away from God than you want to be. And when we begin to crave the accolades of achievement and the possessions of this world and the physical pleasures of life over the pleasures of God, we have created idols in our mind that are destined to leave us broken and disappointed every single time. You ever ordered something on Amazon or maybe in a restaurant based upon the picture that you saw? Yeah, looks so good, doesn't it? Man, don't ever go to McDonald's and order based on the picture. You will be disappointed every time. I think the only thing that they manage to look like the picture is the French fries, and that's because they are chemically treated with something that will not allow them to ever, ever, ever decompose. So I know... I know none of y'all use Facebook, but uh, Facebook, you know, has a habit of, like, interjecting ads that will catch your eye, and it's usually based on whatever you've been searching through Google for or Amazon for, or, and so I happened to be searching for shoes one time, and Facebook sent this really cool-looking pair of shoes into an ad that led me to Amazon, and I really liked them. They were cool. I was like, man, I'll look cool up there preaching if I got those shoes on. And so they were on sale for $29.99, and I thought, man, that's a good price for good shoes. I'm all about it. So I ordered them. It took them so long to get to me that I forgot I even ordered the shoes. Now, I'm not like my wife. If she orders a pair of shoes, she got them on low jack. She's tracking them across the country every stop on the way. But I completely forgot I'd even ordered the shoes. They finally arrived from China by boat and carrier pigeon. And when they got there, they weren't even in a box. How many of your shoes that ain't in a box? They were in an envelope. With a tube of glue that I had to put them together with. No, I'm just kidding. They were in an envelope. And I opened up the envelope. And what was so beautiful when I looked at it on my screen 
was the stiffest pair of shoes. I mean, they could have been made for a dummy. They were so stiff, they might have been made of wood. I don't know. They were the stiffest pair of shoes. I put my feet in them, and I could not even bend my feet. I took them immediately to the big trash bin behind our house that says county waste on it, and I sent them to the waste. I was so disappointed because I bought into the idea that these shoes were going to be great and they were going to look nice and they were going to, anybody ever done that? Am I the only one? Okay, everybody that's done it, raise your hand. Look around. See, I'm not by myself. My dad likes to watch uh, infomercials sometimes late at night. One time I got up there and he had bought this water hose. Some of you bought the same water hose. I don't know if it really worked or not, but he was happy he bought a water hose. You know what I found? More often than not, when I put my hopes in something that is not real, when I put my hopes in something that is not based on God, more often than not, I'm going to find myself living disappointed. See, I'm joking about shoes. That ain't a big deal. It's $29.99. No big deal, right? I can can absorb that loss. But what about when I put my hopes in? and my dreams into a reality that is not real. When I sell out to something that is not real, when I give of myself to something that is a fake, that's been set up to make me believe in something that is real, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living what? Disappointed. I got to know that what I'm believing, what I'm basing my life on is real. That's why, you know what, when I put my life on God, I'm putting it on something that matters. I'm sinking myself into something that he sold out for me. He died for me. He was willing to go to the cross that my future would matter. I'm willing to give myself to him, and I will never be disappointed. Anytime you expect anyone to solve all your problems or anything to guarantee all your happiness, you're going to be disappointed. The second thing that idols do is they dominate. 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 says, You know that while you were still heathen, you were led astray in many ways to the worship of lifeless idols. There are two inevitable effects when you love something more than you love God. Number one, it begins to control you. The modern word for idol is really addiction. Eventually, the idol runs your life. If you can give it up anytime you want, then why don't you? The idol is dominating and distracting your life. The second inevitable effect of an idol dominating you is that it will cause you to be led astray. Idols always make you lose your perspective, and they cause you to set aside your values or compromise your convictions. If you let another person control your life by their approval or disapproval, psychologists call that codependency. Give you a big word that you hear a lot and hear thrown around, and we got Facebook psychologists that like to tell you all about your business. But let me tell you the reality is this. The Bible calls it idolatry. You can break codependency from any idol by restoring God to his proper place in your life. If you'll put God where he belongs, you won't be controlled by anything else. You won't be controlled by these things of this world. You won't be controlled by other people because God will be first. Can you say amen? Now, the third thing that idols do is they deform us. Psalm 115 and 8 says, And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Idols change you. They warp you. They twist you up, causing you to lose the uniqueness that God gave you as you become like what you value most. You see it all the time. You pursue an idol, and it ends up shaping you into what it is. 
Since we become like whatever is first in our lives, we better reserve that spot for God. You've seen those images on Facebook where people start to look like their dog? Pretty sure I know who's first in their life. When you get a haircut to match your poodle, you know where you go on my prayer list? Right to the top. Just saying. There's a lot of people in this world, the Bible says not to make any graven image that looks like an, an animal or fish. There's a lot of people that have put animals above God in their life. I know hunters that literally have shrines to their kill. Now, I'm not saying any hunter in here is wrong, but if I walk in your house and you're kneeling before it, we got to talk. If you're a hunting dog or gets better treatment than your wife. Man, I just got like half the crowd loving me, all the women, and all the non-hunting men are like, yeah, pour it on them. But when you pursue an idol, it ends up shaping you into what it is. Since we become like whatever is first, we better make sure that we have the right thing in first. Can you say amen? Dating relationships, you better be careful. They better be reflective of God because before long they will supersede God. When the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he asked, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Jesus never said that to anyone else. You know, we take that one verse and people will apply it to Christianity and say they're all about your money. They're trying to take your life over, all that stuff. Jesus only said that to one person. And you know why he said it to the one person? Because that one person, he had in his life an idol. He was described by it. He was the rich, young ruler. His idol had become his identity. And so God said, hey, you want to serve me? You want to have eternal life? You got to sell what you got. And you got to pursue me. Question, what is it that God, when he looks at you, says you need to give up? See, a lot of times we take messages like this and we shrug them off. Oh, I live for Jesus. I'm good. But don't just shrug this off today. What is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being all God wants you to be? Is it an activity? Is it a possession? A career? A relationship? A habit? Whatever it is, it's an idol. And if God's word tells you to give something up and you can't let go of it, you don't own it, it owns you. I'm going to say that again because I think 50, 55% of us checked out right there. If God asks you to get rid of something and you can't let go of it, it is not owned by you, but you are owned by it. Human feelings are one of the biggest idols that are around today. Your feelings can be irrational and changeable and unpredictable and even incomprehensible. When major decisions that you make and actions that you take are based primarily on feelings, much damage is generally the result. The idolatry of feelings becomes evident when we bow to them as facts. I know people that have these, they get in their feelings 
and they create all kinds of worlds in their mind, and they live out conversations with people that they have not even had. And before you know it, they've created an ulterior universe that does not even exist, and they have gotten angry and upset, and they're living out craziness based on stuff that happened in their mind because they got in their feelings. People who marinate in their feelings are not allowing their that are now allowing their feelings to dictate their actions. They've given place to how they feel above what they know about God and truth. They've made their feelings an idol. When anything but God becomes the end point of your attention and activity, that's idolatry. And this fake God will damage your family, will damage your home, it will damage your relationships, it will destroy your relationship between you and God. Because when God doesn't do it exactly the way you want to do it, guess who you're mad at? God. When it doesn't answer in the timetable that you set for God, guess who you're mad at? You quit your job because they didn't do it the right way on your job, and you expected God to clear every door. You just decided, you know what, I don't have to put up with this, and I walked in and I quit. And then you walk out and you don't have any money, and who are you mad at? See, your feelings have become more important to you than what God thinks. we got to live based on the word of God, the truth, the facts of God's word. This doesn't change. This doesn't change. This is very much alive. It will very much speak to any situation you're going through. It will work right now, right today, in anything that you're going through, but it does not change. I can go back to it tomorrow, and it may speak to my situation, which is completely different tomorrow than it is today, but the Word of God remains the same. And so i got to base what I'm decision, my decision-making on this and not what I'm feeling in here. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So you go ahead and you base every decision you make on how you feel if you want to. But I promise you, your feelings have become more important to you than the will of God. you got to pursue God's plan. I don't know why I went down that road so far, but, man, that was good. I like that. Pat myself on the back. When we get caught up in addictions, they're short-term answers to timeless problems. They really are. Laws, morals, commitments, obligations, values, relationships, and love, they are sacrificed to create the feeling of the moment when we're caught up in things that we get addicted to. The fourth thing that idols do is they attempt to limit God. See, if I can put God in a statue or in a church building, then I can just leave him behind when I don't want him to be around. You may not want God going everywhere you go or seeing everything you do, but I don't know how to tell you this. Jesus knows. He knows. He knows. And if I can put, but in my mind, if I can put him in a statue or if I think he just lives at church, then he's less imposing and he's less threatening and he's more convenient and he's more manageable. See, we reverse Genesis 127 that says, let us make man in our image, God talking about us, to let me make God in my image. Let me, my, you know, I've even heard this in life groups sometimes. People say, my idea of God is this. 
My idea of what God is like is this. And, and they've got an idea of what God is. I remember my wife telling me one time, her whole childhood she had this idea of God standing at a whiteboard, and every time she made a mistake, he would erase her name off. And if she lived good enough, he would write it back in. And then she would mess up. She would do one thing wrong, and whew, it was gone again. That was her image of God. But it's a false image of God. It's a fake but it caused her to live differently based on her image of what she thought God was. We better get the right image of God. We better look at God as who he really is, this God who extends grace and mercy to us, who reaches us in our lowest points and takes us to a higher height. He loves us and he cares for us and he reaches for us, and there's nothing you can do to ever deny him the love that he has for you. Don't get an image of God like he's some dictator ready to punch you in the face every time you make a mistake. Rather see a God who is ready to embrace you and love you. And in those moments, even when you make a mistake, wants to scoop you up just like you would for your baby when he fell on his knee. People say my idea of God is, again, who made you the authority? Who decided that you could decide what God was like? Again, I go back to this. Get out of your feelings. Get into this. It's a whole lot easier for me to just change my image of God than let God change me into his image. See, it's easier. But if anybody was, if living for God was easy, everybody would do it. See, I don't want to be changed. I don't want God to change to meet my image. But I want to change to be in his image. A lot of people change their theology because they can't justify their lifestyle any other way. We want to make God like us. We want God in our lives, but only in small pre-measured doses the way we shape them properly. I want God to bless me, but I don't want him to run my life. God calls that idolatry. The benefits of worshiping only God are so vital, and that's where I want to end this today. I believe God calls us to worship him and him alone. You can say amen or oh me, it's the truth. He calls us to worship him and him only. And when we do, there are benefits to doing it. First of all, we receive the delight of God. It delights us when we worship him alone. When I put God first, I experience fulfillment in life that I look for in many other places, but I can only find in him. We need to avoid the fakes. Don't settle for an image of God that's just a shadow of the real thing. Because when you get the real thing, there's a delight that comes into your life that nothing else will ever provide. You know, I had this image one time of, and if I had a tape measure, I would show it to you better. But, you know, there's so many times we've lived our life with like an eye on the world, like wanting to keep a distance between us and the world, right? Like I'm going to live this way and it's not as bad as they live, so I'm going to keep that at a distance, right? And so what we do is we keep our eye on the world and so we make sure that our life is in the image of something different than the world. And so as long as I keep this degree of separation from the world, I feel good about myself, right? But what I've done, the world's gotten worse and worse and worse, but I kept my degree of separation. But God has gotten farther and farther away. See, what we need to learn to do is 
delight in God's presence to the place that we want to be in his image. And you know what? If that means the world gets farther and farther and farther and farther away, why? I'm drawing closer and closer and closer to the image of the one that I want to be like. Too many times we're taking our delight in all sorts of other things and we're living our life delighted that we're not like the world. But what I want to delight myself in is that I'm becoming like him. I'm becoming like Jesus. I want to be like him in everything that I do and say. Can you say amen? I want to delight in that. The second thing that it does when we are benefits of the benefit of worshiping only God is that it will deliver us. John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The Bible promises that you will experience a freedom like you've never felt if you put God first in your life and turn away from all the fakes. You no longer have to worry about the expectation and approval of others because you're not searching for their approval. You are searching for the approval of God. And you're focused on pleasing him. Live your life for an audience of one. Pastor Kill, you say that all the time. I'm living my life for an audience of one. We need to learn to live our life for an audience of one. I love my wife. I love my kids. I want them to be happy with me. I love y'all. I want y'all to be happy with me. But the one that I got to please, the one that I got to make happy is God. And I want to live my life for him. When we fall in love with him, and he will set us free from our past, our regrets. It'll set us free from our present, our current habits. It'll set us free from our future, our worries. That's real freedom, folks. When you can walk in life knowing you're set free from past, present, and future, nothing that's a hold on me anymore, that's real freedom. And I want to live that way. The third way that when you really fall in love with God and you settle him as the only one in your life, it'll, it'll deliver you. It will, it, will, uh, it will delight you, but it will also develop you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As the Spirit of the Lord works with us, we become more and more like him. When I put God first, I become the unique person God meant for me to be in the first place. You become like what you love. You love chocolate? You love cheeseburgers? You become a fat, greasy dude. You love God? You want to please God. You want to become like him. The Bible says it's got this cool picture that it paints that one day at the end of time, right now we behold God, it's kind of like looking in a mirror darkly. We can kind of see, but it's not quite visually available quite yet. But one day... It's going to be turned, and we're going to see him as he is because the Bible says we will be like him. See, right now I'm looking in the mirror, and and, and while there's some changes working, and God's doing some things, and he's working on me, and he's buffing out the rough edges, and he's taking some things out of my life, I'm looking in the mirror, and I don't quite see God yet. It's like looking at an image in a dark mirror. But one day the veil's going to lift, I'm going to stand before God. He and I are going to see each other, and I'm going to know. Ha, 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 that's my God. You know why? He looks like me because now I look like him. I'm going to recognize him. Why? Because now I have been made into his image. I have become what I'm supposed to be. It will develop me. 
Your family can't reach its full potential unless you, husbands, you, wives, put God first. Your career will never be what it could be if you don't put God first. Oh, you might make a lot of money. You might please a lot of people, but you won't do on your job what God wanted you to do unless you put God first. Your ministry in the kingdom of God. Oh, I know people that are doing great things in the kingdom of God, but if they would just put God first, man, they would soar. Your life will never be what it could be if you don't put God first. It's not easy building a family in this world. It's not easy building a life in this world. And certainly our world does nothing to encourage you to do it on God's values. But when everyone else in society is saying these values are the values you ought to idolize, I want to go back to what I know to be true and say, "Uh uh-uh, these are the values that i got to idolize. Some people have an image of God as an angry, unappeasable parent who's never pleased with them. Others have an image of God as a grandparent that lets them get away with anything because he just won't stop them. All of those are false images of God. God wants you to know him as he really is. And how do you get to know what God is really like? You get to know Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 5 says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. We can only put God first in our lives if we're willing to live by his word, follow his plan, live out our lives in a way that make a difference and an impact in the world by letting Jesus work through us. Can you say amen? If the praise and prayer team would come. Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money is what it's described in the NIV. Now, don't miss this. A lot of times people are like, I ain't got no money, so I can't be serving that. See, the key point to that is you can't serve two masters. And see, some people are so in love with the fact that they broke, that their brokenness has become their God. Let's just be real. Let's just be real. I got people, they call the church literally, they call every church in the area trying to drum up money instead of going to get a job. Right? That has become their God. That has become the image that they have made of themselves. It has become their identity, being broke. And so it's not just about money, but it's about what are you doing to put God in his proper place. You see, anything that supersedes God has become an idol, and you cannot serve both God and it. For some people, it's football. Some of you waiting right now. You done checked your fantasy league in here. You made sure your right guys was in play. I've been preaching about idols, and you're checking out your guys. For some people, it's food. I'm working hard to get rid of some of this weight, but I tell you what, it's hard because food has a hold on our lives sometimes. That's why fasting is so hard because it literally breaks our will. Can't serve both God and another master at the same time. What fake God is it today that is trying to push the real God out of your life? James 1 and 8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What's in competition with God in your life right now that is creating instability, that's got you feeling one way and feeling another, that's got you coming to church on Sunday and on Monday living a different way? What is it that's in competition with God in your life right now? 
clothes, money, status, house, lands, cars, careers, education, sex, politics, science, all things that should be used but never deified. Even family or ministry can become a God to us if we don't keep it in its proper place. Matthew 10, 37 says, Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I love my mom and dad. I love them with a love that I can't even begin to describe. I wake up every day and I miss my mom. I love my kids and I want them to love me in a way that is pure and honest and real and I want them to be able to count on me. And I love my wife in such a way that I can't even imagine ever living a day without being able to love her. And yet, if my love for them is more than my love for God, the Bible says I'm not worthy of Him. The command against idolatry holds no matter how precious the idol is to us. See, if I love Jordan so much, it's my son. I ought to be able to love him. He's my kid. He's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He is a product of me. But God says if I love him in such a way that it's more than him, the good that I have in my kid has become an idol. See, I started this message saying I was going to say something that was going to be like, oh, abrasive a little bit. Even if the idol is good, doesn't mean it's not an idol. We got parents living vicariously through their kids. They're out on the softball field or the baseball field or the soccer field, and they are just living like you thought they were the player. And it's more important to them than coming to church on Sunday. Now, do I want my kid to succeed? You better believe it. And if my kid's playing ball and I'm in the fans, everybody's going to know that that boy playing the jersey number two is Rodney's son. When he comes up to bat, I'm going to be cheering as loud as anybody else. And I did the whole time. When If he was playing for the Cardinals, I suddenly was wearing a Cardinals shirt. And I hate the Cardinals. Thank God they never put him in a Red Sox jersey because I don't know what I would have done. I raised him right. He said he would have quit. Thank you, Jesus. But here's what I know. The good that I have with my kid cannot supersede the greatness of my God. Because if it does, when he grows up, guess who he's going to see as the God in his own mind? Himself or his kid. Because God was put less than him. As parents, we got such great responsibility. We got such great responsibility. I want the best for everything that my kids can experience. But a most important thing they can experience, experience is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd all stand with me today, I've got two statements I want to end with this message with today. The first one is this, every person has a God. Everybody. What is it that you think about most often in your free time? That's test number one. 
Test number two is, whom do you really wish to please in life? Every person has a God. You answer those two questions. What do you think about most often in your free time? What do you try to please in life? You'll find out who your God really is. And you'll soon find out whether or not there is something in your life that has become elevated above the living and true God. The second statement, everyone has a God, number one. And number two, every God will demand allegiance. It's true of the living and true God as well as all the false gods that people chase around the world after today. Every single God comes to take over. There's no such thing as a God saying, I will partner with you in this endeavor. It doesn't happen. God doesn't say, I will participate you with, the, with you in the process of running your life. Every God comes to say, I want control. And the problem is this, what man When man abandons the living and the true God and begins to serve other idols, he exalts something above God. He will always end up in bondage and become subservient to another who is driving and pushing him away from the one true God. The only way out of that slavery is to turn to the living and true God. As we begin this time of prayer today, I want to invite you today to come to this altar. By coming, you're not saying, I got idols in my life. What you are saying is, I want to make sure he's first in my life. See, it's one thing to acknowledge that there are stuff that's trying to supersede God. It's another thing to say, you know what? I want him to be Lord of everything. And everything kneels at his feet. So today, I want to encourage you to come. If I could put a command, the positive spin on this command, I would say this. Jesus said in the New Testament, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And the bottom line is simply this. God desires that we would be in love with him more than anything else, that he would have no competition, that he would be first. I want to invite you today to come and make him first in your life. What are you willing to give up today to put him first? I don't know what it is, but anything is not valuable enough to be in his place. Put him first today in your life. Father, I thank you. Come into this house right now and begin to work in the lives and hearts of people. God, we give you ourselves today completely and wholly, God. Lord, we don't want anything to stand in your way. We don't want anything to stand between us and you. We thank you today, God, in Jesus' name. Yeah.